This episode is being brought to you guys by our incredible sponsors, Tenant Inc., Live Oak Bank, and Janus International. Starting it off with Tenant Inc., their products are designed by owners for owners. And Tenant Inc. is funded and managed by self-storage owners with vast industry experience spanning decades. These guys super know their stuff, incredible people. They understood what the industry lacked and knew what needed to be provided. So technology in the industry sets basic operators apart from professional operators and they knew exactly what the industry needed and their technology puts the owners back into the driver's seat on to our next sponsor we've got live oak bank who is on a mission to be america's small business bank incredible group of people there who know and understand self-storage we've talked to so many people that use their services in the self-storage industry and have had nothing but incredible experiences with live oak if you guys are interested in sba loans starting in storage any of that phenomenal resource for you to look at Last but not least, Janus International. They've got everything from doors and hallways to installation, automation, and facility restoration. Their R3 program helps you revitalize facilities, bring them back to life. Um, They are a leading global provider of self-storage and commercial industry doors, relocatable storage units, facility automation solutions, and door replacement and self-storage restoration services. Again, these guys have been in the industry for so long. They know their stuff. They do incredible work. All the links to these incredible, amazing sponsors are down below in the show notes. Check them out. Get at them. With that said, enjoy the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. And today, we are live from our new studio here. The new studio, dude, is uh, it's finally alive and well. Uh, well, some of it is. Some of There's, it is. Uh, part Ernie of it is here in the background <laughs> is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's super exciting to be in here, man. And uh, if uh, you guys are listening to this podcast on Apple or uh, Spotify, any of that stuff, Go check out the YouTube channel. Check out the uh, the podcast live. You guys can check out the studio. You can meet Ernie. That's hang right. out with us here, which is uh, pretty legendary. I'll let you guys find out what Ernie is exactly <laughs> on your own. <laughs> A little teaser. Exactly. Uh, but anyways, super good episode lined up today, man, just to kind of talk about uh, why self-storage is such an amazing investment right now to be getting into yeah. and uh, kind of looking at some past performance and talking about just what's going on in the industry, what we're seeing, what we're experiencing and what things are looking like in the future. You know, in in the it's an interesting way to approach this firsthand because we we talk a lot about past performance, we talk about future, we talk a lot about what's going on, but like in this moment right now, where is self-storage in this cycle and what it means for today, for people buying in this year. And we were really kind of wanted to talk about this due to an article um, that we're reading. And 
the article talked about and in, in, in is presented from Motley Fool on why you need to be investing in our own self-storage in 2022. I think that it's a really good article that covers a lot of different aspects about the self-storage industry and where it's at currently. And this is more of a smaller snapshot. And they talk about, right, over the next year, why things look strong. And as I read it, sometimes I either really agree with what they're saying or not mm -hmm. so much. This one, I actually um, really agreed with it because there were some disclaimers and they put things into perspective where mm -hmm. they said, you know, we're talking about 2022, now 2023, 24, and we'll go into kind of some of that. But there's a few reasons why um, self-storage in 2022 is going to be strong. But let, let's kind of break this down into a little past because as they cover in here, um, self-storage has been the top performing CRE sector for over 26 years. It's a good run. It's a great run. And the thing that you need to remember in that we've had three recessions. We've gone through booms and busts. So where a lot of other sectors, you've seen booms and busts, and there's a trade-off of returns and overall um, earnings with different asset classes, and it's like they switch. Well, this one's been good for five years. This one's been good for five years. Self-storage is really, really maintained. And I think that's because it's been growing in a healthy way, and demand has been growing with it. Um, the industry has changed a lot. But over the last 10 years, we had a, dry, a drying up of all funnel activity through new development um, that really started to pick up before 2020. Now, during the latest recession or COVID, we really saw a pause to that. So mm -hmm. a lot of deals that were slated were taken off the table. Now, I feel like it's ramped right back up, but sure. we had a year where things in the development world kind of paused. Yeah, things were really uncertain, man. Like nobody, when, when COVID first kicked off, nobody really knew what was going to go on. There was a lot of uncertainty. And obviously uncertainty creates, uh, you know, the blood in the streets aspect where everybody's holding capital. <laughs> yes. Everybody's withholding capital. Everybody's pausing projects and uh, wanting to play it safe. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of acquisitions. We did really well throughout a lot of that. And that was one of our bigger years. And, you know, we started building the infrastructure of, uh, Cedar Creek to really start executing on acquisitions at that point in time as well, which was perfect. Yes. Um, and uh, it was it was definitely uncertain times, and I, I totally agree that uh, now that that's more or less behind us, that we are starting to see a huge uptick in um, acquisitions and in development, and that uh, overall hype in the industry is kind of coming back, which, I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you look at things like this that are talking about a top-performing commercial real estate asset for 26 years running. Uh, you don't, like you're talking about, you don't see a lot of asset classes or investments in general with that kind of a lengthy track record. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at different development cycles, I think we as an industry were very lucky we had that pause. Um, uh, there were several markets that prior to uh, COVID, which no one was obviously lucky we had COVID, but the industry did need a pause. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had several locations in the United States 
that we saw a softening and even a declining in rental rates, um, such as Dallas, right? And that paused allowed industry and allowed demand to catch back up with the new supply that had been brought on, which made it more resilient in the years to come and gave us this year now where we feel, you know, that that pause is still benefiting in 2022. So to give you any idea, rate increases that we're seeing, we are currently giving like 30 uh, plus percent street rates. So our asking rate on products, we're asking 30% higher than last year. We're getting a 15 plus percent internal rental rate increases. It's the strongest ever mm-hmm. we've ever had across the board. Um, one of the reasons we believe, uh, one of the reasons it's so strong and is we're keeping demand normally with those kind of rate increases, if we had such a big rate increase at any one facility, we would see an immediate increase in vacancy prior to this. Right. And that's been holding pretty strong. So even with those strong rate increases, we haven't been seeing a massive increase in vacancy and we're being so aggressive right now because we don't know that we're going to get that in 2023. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. we're kind of like, Hey, we need to get it now while we can. Um, And with inflation and everything that's going on, we're like, this is really important. But one of the things that's been helping us and also extraordinarily frustrating us is the leftover from the recession from COVID government stimulus and everything that's happened has made it really hard to process development deals. Mm -hmm. Developing got much harder. So getting development out of the ground right now is twice as expensive as it was, and it's taking twice as much time, which you're in the middle of that. Yeah, no, you really are. And I mean, just uh, it's you're, you're hitting the nail on the head because, again, you have the supply chain issues, you have the staffing issues, you have all of these things, and we're talking staffing issues not only with people's companies, but within these cities and these processing agencies that have to process the permits, that have to give you the approvals to actually go out and do what you want to do. And um, when those cities don't have the personnel, when they don't have the resources to get those things done, and again, you know, we're seeing this influx, you're having a massive influx and limited amount of people to be able to actually go through and process a lot of those applications, permits, that really puts out a lot of things. I mean, just for an example, Idaho, uh, we've got a uh, agency here that they're just a sole agency that has to do with the roads and systems here that uh, they're essentially the single point of failure and bottleneck for so many projects right now going on um, in our region where they're just so backed up that it's taking months for them to get something through. And, you know, it used to not take that long, but uh, no, in, in, you just have to keep your constant, you know, hand on the pulse of your costs, you know, the square footage costs, whatever that looks like, the material costs, um, working with those professionals in those industries, you know, like we do um, to really understand and get a grip on those costs to be able to project any kind of accurate numbers over time and to be able to manage those because at the end of the day, you can have all the, uh, projections you want, but until, you know, you're looking at reality, you really don't know at the end of the day, you really don't know. Um, it, it is such, you know, that's just development as it is. Um, and if you're not prepared and have the people that you should be working with, like in your corner, then, uh, you're going to be overrunning costs like crazy. And, um, you're gonna have a lot of surprises that you don't want to have, which is why 
we always work with the best. You know, we work with the best engineers, yes. architects, GCs, and uh, extremely we experienced. Oh, we're yeah. not, we're yeah. not trying to cut corners and save Absolutely a penny not. because someone that's never done this thinks that they can save money, which yep. actually in turn costs you three times as much as well, we've seen. Dude, and again, timelines, if you got to oh. go back and redo something because you had somebody that didn't know that you couldn't do X, Y, and Z, I mean, you're months down the road again, or yep. you have to go back to square one because you had something that was totally incorrect. Yep. Um, so working with those professionals is is key and absolutely a part of our strategy when it comes to developments and, uh, well, everything we do, but yeah. especially in developments yes. that, I mean, you've, you've got to have those ducks in a row and uh, have those professionals in your, in your corner. And there's a lot of, uh, so when we're looking at this development funnel, like, you know, Connor heads up our developments. And as he's looking at this development funnel and looking at this time frame, when you're working with cities and the cities are like, yeah, it's going to be six more months, right? It's going to be this. It, it is, it's something that can trap a lot of people because they've financed it really poorly. Mm. And this can cause um, land retrading and properties to fall out. It's one of the reasons that on our deals, we bought them in cash. And we can sit on them and go through the process. So we, mm -hmm. we, pick, high mar uh, we pick high, high revenue mar markets that can allow fluctuation in prices of um, the actual product and steel, everything else. It can withstand major swings because the revenue prices are so high. And when we looked at that, that gives us that buffer. Mm -hmm. So you're not sweating saying we got a 20% increase in, you know, copper here. Did we just kill the deal? Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, we pay for it in cash. So that way, you know, and you can't come, you know, you couldn't walk into my office and say, AJ, I guarantee in three months, we're going to have permits in hand. I mean, because anything that anybody predicted a year ago is so crazy out of line that you can get yourself into trouble really, really quick. And we, we, we try to install those buffers. But mm -hmm. a lot of developers didn't do that. No. They need to get rid of that property. They have to sell the land because they have no time. They have, they have um, loans that are coming due. Investors may have gotten impatient. There's so many things going on, and they weren't prepared for that. With that said, that means over the last two years, we've seen a lot of frustration and people not being able to get product out of the ground and put new supply on a market, which has helped not oversupply markets for 2022. And it's kept demand fairly high up mm -hmm. until now. And so we believe that that's, that's happening. Now in, in 2022, we, we, we see a lot of more, a lot more products that will be coming out of the ground and the amount of product, uh, product in areas that we've looked that are now in the planning phase has doubled within six months in most of our areas. Really crazy. How many of those will actually get across the line? We'll see. Mm -hmm. But 2022 has been um, fairly insulated from too much product getting out there and oversupplying, which makes a more resilient marketplace, makes those revenues more resilient, and it makes our ability to get those kind of returns mm -hmm. and those increases it makes us very confident as well as the sector. And that's one of the big things that this article addresses. Yeah. So the reason in 22, we believe, and the article addresses it, has a lot to do with this development cycle. A lot to do with it. And, you know, it kind of mentions even in here, it's like, you know, self-storage is having a moment, which this is 100% true. Anyone that's listening to this is, is in the self-storage industry or, or is listening to this because of this moment. Um, it has 
so massively increased in popularity. Oh my it's, gosh. It's uh, kind of staggering. It is, man. Um, yeah, you see these big these big funds getting into it and uh I mean, not in a small way either. You know, they're dropping billions and jumping into the industry. Um, it's gotten a lot of uh, a lot of positive feedback, and which you pointed out, which is great too. In this article, is they actually talk about like recession resistant, like it's not recession proof. You know, like so many people like to throw out there, which uh, which is great. Um, but no, so many good things. The other thing I want to touch on real quick, you were talking about. Uh, some of those ways that we throw in the buffers on these development projects. The other aspect is there's a couple things we've got. We're buying land, right? You know, we're buying yeah. land at a at a cost. You know, we're we're making that good investment decision of buying right in the first place and going in and uh, being able to essentially pick up land that we could just turn around and, and sell the land itself for double or triple or whatever it is the yeah. cost what we purchased it for. So. Um, we have a, a plan B. We have a backup exactly. plan. Yep. We're not putting ourselves in a situation where, you know, it's all on red, right? right? Exactly, <laughs> so we're not dude, doing sure. like that. And then the other aspect of that too is, again, that that hyper-focused you know, market that is self-storage. There's a lot of generalizations, especially when we're looking at, at articles in, the, in these different things like this and data that just kind of get thrown around as generalization saying storage is good or this is good or that's bad or this is bad, whatever that looks like. Um, when in reality, that it really comes down to whatever that hyper local market is that you're in and if those metrics work. And uh, that's another part of our strategy is, you know, we're going in and identifying, you know, like you said, these high revenue areas, these really good markets to develop, you know, huge demand, low supply, um, varying asset types and classes to kind of diversify risk a little bit, uh, throwing in some different asset classes in some of those developments as well. Um, and in product offerings, even within that same asset. So, you know, doing some of the traditional drive up, doing some of the temperature control, doing some uh, wine storage or whatever that looks yeah. like. Um, the big boat RV storage and even diversifying some of the product offerings, even within those, you know, like having drive through units for the yes. boat and RVs, having, uh, units that are totally, you know, access control automated with your cell phone where you can pull up to your unit, hit a button on your phone and your garage door to your unit pulls up and you can just jump in and, you know, go or whatever it is that you want to do. Um, so, so many things and so many different strategies that I was just kind of thinking about as you were talking, you know, some of those things that we do to help that shield us from oversupply. Exactly. Yep. Where there's exactly specialty right. things where we're, we're defining and I was having a conversation, um, with uh, a guy this morning and he we, we were talking about the future of self-storage and some of his ideas that he had and you know i i view that self-storage is going to become much more specific um customer driven meaning mm -hmm. we're probably going to see a lot of and i have some ideas on uh business models that can be implemented within self-storage so it, you know when you look at these high-end car self-storage um, offerings, right? So people are parking their luxury cars in there and it's offering um, car clubs. And there's all these different things that we see with logistics, short-term um, uh, uh, services within a facility that can supply mm -hmm. businesses to conduct and do some of their operations within that self-storage facility. So they're, they're picking an industry, they're targeting it, they're creating products and facilitating the ease of people 
to not only use the product, but also facilitate them to run their business through that storage facility. I see mm-hmm. a lot more of this going on and I love it Yeah, because you're directly targeting your customer. As everyone knows, you know, we view storage as you have a product and you have a customer. We're doing product market fit. This is a business. You're identifying the customer and you're servicing demand instead of blanketing units on a market and build it and they will come and hoping that you got the right fill up and hoping that you can get in, you can rise rates at a certain point, right? Mm. That's not the game we play. And when you look at, you know, even look at CubeSmart. So CubeSmart this year alone, they are seeking asking rates up to 30%. This is 55% over 2019. So in 2022, self-storage is really strong and we're getting those rates. Um, our assets that we purchased last year and our syndications and funds, we were, we look at um, the money on the table, as I call it. So anyone that listens to our podcast, you know, we call it the money on the table. And that's simply the existing value that is in the market and in that facility that can be measured and is known. It's not future. It's mm-hmm. not gambling. And then we know exactly how to extract it out of that facility within that market through like products. And it can um, be captured immediately. And it can be captured immediately. Yeah. This isn't waiting. This isn't repurposing. This isn't anything like that. It's it's that spread. In fact, I, I just did a YouTube video with Ken McElroy, um, and we talked a lot about this. Um, but that spread generally gets us our needed returns. So how we invest and all our investors that invest with us, it's a very simple model, right? Three years, we want 120% return, meaning they got all their money back plus a 20% within the first three years. Then from there on out, right, we're getting continual wealth and income creation. We're not selling the assets, so we hold them for lives. Mm-hmm. So we give those investors their capital back plus their return, but they don't lose the asset. We're not selling it. They still have their equity and we still keep going. To get that, we want to see the returns that are already there on the market, meaning we're not hoping in three years to achieve those numbers. So when we're looking at that spread and we purchase, and then you have a year like this year, that increase that we're talking about, that's on top of those numbers that we already have embedded into that strategy and into um, that facility that we've acquired. Uh, that makes for a really good improvement, obviously, because to this, this is cherry on top that we didn't underwrite or expect. Mm-hmm. And good operators, right, they operate in that way. And they're looking for the best markets, high demand, and they're running off known measurables, not on future returns. So now, one of the things I think we have to look at, though, and acknowledge, we have all this good news and everything, but um, this, these numbers that we're talking about, like, we're talking about 20 plus percent rate rental rate increases, right? Things like that, which, which are crazy. We don't ever plan for anything like that. No, right? yeah. like we wouldn't even Very plan for double digit rate increases outside our ones that we know in misalignment of pricing that we just need to shore up <clears throat> saying that we're going to get future rate increases. We would never project for, I mean, it's like, if, if it happens, that's wonderful. But yeah. we're seeing a lot of people that are entering into the market. They're buying at incredibly high prices. Mm-hmm. And their expectations of these assets is that this will happen. 
And that's really scary to me. Yeah. And not only will it happen, I think there's, it doesn't work if it doesn't. Well, no. Yeah. It doesn't work if it doesn't. And then the other thing too, is they think that's going to happen in uh, in a quote unquote, you know, air quotes, passive manner, manner. you know, uh, which I think is another huge, obviously yes. misunderstanding. They're just subject to it. The whole market yep. gets it. And that's not true in self-storage. No. You hear about an operator that gets that. You think that you can buy that and just get it. These are products. These people are analyzing in depth demographics. They're looking at the individuals, who's buying what, what they mm -hmm. can afford and can't afford. This is a very specialty thing. And we have so many new funds that are private equity and capital pouring into self-storage. They're buying everything up and they're expecting an exit in three years that they're going to sell at a compressed cap rate. And they get what you know I call event-based investing. Mm -hmm. Whereas it works great if a certain event happens. I do not like this at all. Meaning I need to sell it to get my returns, right? We are revenue and cash flow people. I need my investment to be justified based upon its producing revenue on my capital. I put my capital in, what are my returns on continual cash flow of existing measurable things? Um, we see a lot of funds right now that they are buying to consolidate, then they are in, even if that's low cap rates, they wanna get portfolio value and they get our 20 plus percent IRR or whatever it is. Once they sell that asset, that is assuming that cap rates stay compressed, that we stay at these high prices, that we have continual growth going. And mm. then that event that they're making up, as I think of it in a spreadsheet, will then magically give them all these returns. The reason why people do that, because for the last 12 years that has worked, meaning cap rates have continually compressed into self-storage. Revenues have continually gone up. And there's a lot of people that made a ton of money by trading assets over in this game. Um, I do not believe that in three years, we will have as hot of a market as we do today. Uh, I think it would be silly for anyone to expect that. Uh, we have more inventory coming on board and interest rates are rising. Mm -hmm. Cap rates rise with interest rates. Markets consolidate. Markets consolidate. Yeah. It's just, we're not going to see an exit point or an event. And anyone that is projecting that the best time it's ever been that that's how they get all their return because it'll be that way in, in a bunch of years. Everybody, I, I believe, uh, Connor believes, our firm believes, that is a disaster. And that is not sound investing. Um, you are speculating at that point. 100%. And I am shocked at the number of private equity firms that have come in in the last five years that are new to this industry. And that is the strategy. And they believed that they, they, they're they doing things and the justification of bad decisions are that it will be able to sell it. Mm -hmm. So even if it's not great, it's okay because we'll be able to sell it for more. Um, and I have a lot of concerns that this will come back to bite our industry. And uh, um, whether it happens or not, doesn't matter for us. Our strategy stays the same. But for anyone listening to this, we hear all this good news. I like to make sure that we're a realist and I like to make sure that we're guiding you guys and making sure that we're not just being cheerleaders and pumping up an industry and, and hype, but we're saying this is one of the best industries in the world. It's one of the best investments in the world. Do it properly, do it right, 
and you can achieve these numbers. This can provide immense financial freedom, wealth creation, um, and financial independence. Mm -hmm. uh, but don't jump into it expecting a market to simply make you. Be very tactical about it. Yeah, be very tactical about it. And uh, if you're investing with others, make sure that that's their understanding as well. You know, they're not event-based. They're not speculating that you're working with a fund or you're working with a group that actually knows what they're doing, long-term plans, not, you know, hoping for the best and not planning for the worst, um, all those things. Uh, oh, I, I was looking at some numbers and they were saying if you extract out the um, REITs, as far as acquisitions goes, the private equities currently out in the market that are buying, it's something like well over 40% of those firms, the leadership that are actually making those decisions have never been through a credit crisis. They didn't go through 2008. It's wild. So they've never been in a condition where interest rates were basically not dry, dropping and cap rates were not compressing. <laughs> that's so and crazy. it's like, you can see that drive some of the decisions and that's a concern. Oh, yeah. You need to look at management. You need to look at the people that are making these decisions. Mm -hmm. How? What is your strategy? How are you approaching it? That's a big thing. Yeah, no, it is. And, and you mentioned about you know doing it right and that's a huge part of doing it right. The other thing that I think we could suggest is like, do it now. If there's ever yeah. a good time to get in, it's now. right now. And hundred percent. We we have a, a, an interesting situation in the markets today where we have capital. And right now, I, I haven't seen this for what, three years on the podcast where I was like, I think it was three, four years ago. I'm like, listen, this market's going to consolidate in 20 years. Yeah. Now I'm like, yeah, it's like five years. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You know, it, just, it happened so fast. It, it yep. blew us even away. And yeah. I think that's a, um, a characteristic of our firm is we have a fire underneath us mm -hmm. because we know we're like, the amount of good acquisition targets is shrinking so dramatically every year. This market's consolidating. We really need to be out there and we need to be getting it. And with self-storage, I tell everybody, you need to get in. Um, mm -hmm. this, this asset class, this industry will not look like this in five years. No. The consolidation is so rapid. It is. It is. And yeah, you need to make those smart decisions now. Uh, one of those ways, obviously, you can invest with people like us. You know, we've got our fund. You can, I mean, we provide feasibility studies, all kinds of things as well to help if you identify have, if you get in, good deals, bad deals. We have our YouTube yep. channels. We have a lot of resources. Um, we really focus on fundamentals and value. Mm -hmm. So it's been kind of our mission. And, you know, when I was in the hospital, we're like, listen, I, I wanted to. Um, you know, really share what we've done. And it was like, listen, we're going to do this in two ways. We're either going to teach, hence this podcast, or we will allow other people to just come with us and do what we've been doing for almost 20 years now. We're almost it's to our wild. 20 year mark. It's wild. Um, and uh, the exact same methodology, which we, we'd never had investors before. And so we're just doing the same thing. So, yep, we allow both of those op options. And everybody that's listening to this, um, we're really passionate about this, and we know self-storage people are too. We believe that a rising tide lifts all ships. The better you can be, the better this industry and this market will be, the better I'm going to perform, the better that, you know, Connor's out here developing a market so they're going to be safe for us in two years, and mm -hmm. we have people that are making sound decisions that are instructing and helping working side-by-side -side with cities and municipalities to understand our industry, our asset, working with financiers and banks and capital raisers to also be making good decisions. That helps us all out. We want 
we want this industry to keep growing and to be successful. And so guys, how you can help us on our mission in doing it, please leave a review. Um, give us a great rating on this podcast. It makes a difference. It gets the word out. And, you know, that's how the, the tech gods work. So it really makes a difference. It really does. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.